welcome to episode 39 of The Front Lounge with Congos. Sorry there's been such a delay on these. Uh, we were in a bus accident. No one got hurt, but it's been a bit of a logistical nightmare for the last week on tour. Um, we got rear-ended in Canada. Bus got completely screwed up, so we've been kind of U-hauling and vanning it for this part of the tour, and our gear for the podcast was stuck on the bus in Canada. So there might be a secret Canadian podcast out there that some bus engineers secretly recorded. We'll see if that comes up. But anyway, good to be back. It's uh, just Danny and I and our friend here, Jeff Moran, who will introduce. I, I asked him to tell me his official titles and everything before, but I couldn't even remember the titles. So he's I, a sci- know, he does I, science. He's a, I can do it. It's a, Jeff Moran, he's an assistant professor at uh, George Mason. He's on the tenure track, which is what you do. He, his official fucking professorship, <laughs> which I think is a technical term, your fucking professorship, will that, be um, mechanical engineering. That's my engin- full job title, right. actually. Is it mechanical engineering? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all we need you to say. Thank you, Jeff. You can- <laughs> okay, it's been great, guys. See you later. Could you, we're going to just say a bunch of really dumb things, and can you confirm them? <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to. He's our source for today. Yes. Anyway, yeah, so Jeff's an old friend of ours. Um, we met him in, not former, but in a previous life of yours as a musician. You still obviously are a musician, a great one, um, as a bass player. And then through my wife, is used to live next to his wife, so there's kind of a lot of connections there. But um, welcome. Thanks. Yeah, good to be here. Um, let's start right off the bat. We do these smoke rings yeah. at our shows that people have seen. Yeah. And they're wicked cool. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, for sure. Jeff actually explained to us how they work. We have a video of it that we've been threatening to put out forever, <laughs> but we just never got around to editing it. Yeah, I'm still waiting on that release form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our lawyer knows that you're going to be a stickler for detail, so he wants to make sure that the very best of the best look it over before we yeah, send yeah. it over to you. Yeah. But um, well, it was um, it was a professor lecture slash wet t-shirt contest, so it's <laughs> it's really the hang up. Yeah, yeah. So this the, at the time, you, this is kind of an area that you specialize in. At the time, was the yeah. the kind of physics governing why those smoke rings work the yeah. way they do. Yeah. So could you in yeah. The layest of layman's terms, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> explain to us briefly what we're seeing there and why. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, my general area of research still kind of is fluid dynamics, right? It's the study of fluids and how they behave under different conditions. And a fluid, right, means just anything that's liquid or gas. So you can see these. So the, the, the term we use is vortex rings. And um, you can see them in liquids and as, as well as gases. Um, dolphins actually can create them spontaneously. There are some awesome videos on YouTube of the of them just kind of, yeah. um, you know, because dolphins are incredibly intelligent. And one sign of intelligence, especially in animals, is uh, is play. The fact that they can play around, right? And it's incredible. Like they put humans to shame as far as how well they can swim and you know the things they can do. So anyway, what's going on in a vortex ring? Uh, what's especially cool about it is that it's it propels itself. Like as you guys have probably noticed. Um, as soon as it's released from the little contraption you guys have, which is quite cool, by the way, um, <laughs> it moves in a very straight path. Right, yeah. Right? And what's interesting is that it partially works because 
You can think of a, a vortex ring as kind of a pearl necklace, and every pearl on the necklace is, <laughs> yeah, and, and I literally mean a pearl necklace, <laughs> right. like an actual of actual physical pearls. Right, yes. right. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, beads. If we could, we could do, we could go with a different, different, <laughs> different constituent of the necklace, if you like. Yeah, yeah. You're not talking uh, to our our audience and yeah. and our, us. Right, right, right. No, and dirty no, people on a course, bus. Of course. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yes. No, anyway. Um, so, what's cool about it is that every bead propels the other beads in a certain way. So the way it works is like this. So picture just a single vortex, okay? Just picture, you know, like at the bottom of um, Your dra- you know, a, drain, like a, drain. Like a shower drain, right? right? Yeah, it's, 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 that's a vortex. A vortex is just a localized region where fluid is spinning around, right? Okay. And now picture what happens immediately outside that vortex, right? Because fluid, adjacent layers of fluid exert friction on each other, right? So that vortex, if you just had it by itself, isolated, well, it's going to cause the fluid surrounding it to spin as well, right? Right. So now let's, let's say you have a, a vortex that's spinning, say, this is counterclockwise, right? So the fluid around in the surroundings is also going to spin counterclockwise, albeit at a slightly slower speed, right? Mm-hmm. Now let's say you have a, another vortex over here that's spinning clockwise. That vortex, that second vortex, is going to feel a. It's going to feel the effects of the first vortex, and so right. If it's spinning counterclockwise, then this guy over here is going to feel a downward. It's going to kind of drift downward. But by the very same token, the second vortex spinning clockwise will cause the other one also. When you think about it, it's clockwise. So the other, the first one is going to also feel a downward motion. So each, the, the point is, each vortex will move downward because of the other one. Huh. Makes sense? Yeah, I mean, well, yes, but, no, but not... Is that, what makes the, easier to is that what makes a structure? Is that because well, so now imagine that you have a whole ring of those mm-hmm. vort- vortices. And now let's say you have, you know, not, now we're going from two dimensions to, or we're, instead of just one pair... Now let's say you have another pair at the top and the bottom. Imagine they're on a clock, yeah, right? right? So you have one pair at three o'clock, right? That's spinning counterclockwise, and the one at nine o'clock is also spinning counterclockwise downward. Right. Then suppose that now you have one at twelve o'clock, one at six o'clock, eleven, five, etc. So basically. Um, each one of so the point is one vortex will feel the influence of another, right? And then now when you have a whole bunch of these things, it's easier to draw. It's sure, easier yeah, to like yeah. communicate visually, but that's kind of the basic idea. Is right. that each the the point is that each bead on the necklace feels the influence of the others, right? I've yeah, I mean I've seen the smoke rings break mm-hmm. up a bit, and they, yeah, they, it's not like a perfect tube. It's not a perfect smoke. tube, yeah. right? And that's because so you're you're referring to um, actually that's a viscous effect. Oh, so I see. That's that's the the friction between the whatever the smoke i guess mm-hmm. that makes up the smoke ring and um and the air surrounding it which is not s- too significant but over time it just uh, by the same the exact same mechanism by what you know if you drop a f- uh, drop of food coloring into water right it'll spread out over time sure, right yeah. and it's the same process uh, basically the smoke just spreads out into the air okay, yeah. it turns out what's cool about this actually is if that wouldn't if if it weren't for friction a smoke ring would just keep propagating Ad infinitum, it would right. go off into the distance forever. You, um, uh, I want to remember friction and inertia. Sure. Um, to get back to it, but you explain to me what a liquid is. 
which is <laughs> that it reacts differently under a sheer force than yeah. the solid. I'd yeah. never ever heard that explained. Because yeah. I couldn't, as a kid, I couldn't figure out when does a solid become a liquid. Yeah. Like when does it like what yeah. it seems it seemed arbitrary to me. Sure. Um, sure. And that was the first. Well, explain <laughs> scientific. That, explain that to me because I yeah. I've not heard that. I don't know. If yeah. I understand so it. actually, what what Danny is referring to about a liquid is actually true for a gas too. In fact, that's the the, the first day when I teach fluid mechanics. The first thing I, de- I define is what is a fluid, right? Oh. So and I've gotten actually, one day into a class. <laughs> Does this count for credit? or <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, there will be a quiz at the end. Um, but um, that's actually one of the conventional definitions of a fluid okay. is something that um, it's contrasted with a solid, right? So with a, the, And you, uh, you use the right term, shear force. It really comes down to... Um, if you apply a, a force to a surface in the direction of that surface, parallel right. to the surface. And the question is like what two happens? Like two pieces of granite moving across or right. a glacier or whatever. Right, right. Um, so with a solid, right, you can apply a shear force and you can make a shear force, you, you can make it deform, mm-hmm. right? So if you hold, I don't know, a piece of bread and if you hold it on, on one hand and you use another hand to... Put apply a shear force to the top. The bread will deform. You can parallelogram it. If you can make it a parallelogram, exactly. But then when you take your hand away, it reverts back. Right. That's a characteristic response of solids. Okay. Fluids, i.e., liquids and gases, don't do that. Of course, Mm -hmm. they even after you take your hand away, they deform continuously. Right. And another term for deforming continuously is flowing. Right. Right. So, in short, fluids are things that flow. Right. So, but that, does that, that make, yeah, does yeah, that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it makes sense, and it yeah. sounds redundant when you take that out of context, but obviously yeah. now you have a new, uh, greater definition of what flowing is. Yeah. yeah. And there are some materials like glass that are kind of in the middle. They're not right. quite a solid, strictly speaking, and not quite a fluid. I mean, they do flow over very, very, very long times. And actually, glaciers, you mentioned glaciers are also... Uh, they technically do flow as well, um, but they behave like extremely viscous liquids. So, so viscosity, yeah. that kind of leads me into viscosity. Viscosity is simply the resistance of a fluid to flowing. It's, is it it's, a function of time then? I mean, if you're saying that a glacier, if right. it's over a very long period, could that same principle be applied if you really extend time to hundreds of millions of years? That sure. sure. Everything's a liquid. Well... <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, with things like metals, right, um, or salt, um, things where the atoms are really held in a rigid, crystalline structure. Right. Um, yeah, as far as what would happen millions or billions of years, uh, I'm not exactly sure. There's probably some research into that right, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, definitely... In the case of glaciers, that is one one thing that uh, people are really trying to understand better mm. is is how glaciers flow, how they behave under different conditions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they we saw some in Alaska. It looks like a yeah. It looks like a flow. Yeah, you know, it looks like yeah, a yeah, river. yeah, yeah. You can see it. It's kind of like a flow that's frozen in time. Yeah, right? yeah. it's kind of in. You're watching it in ultra slow motion. Well, yes. if we keep up this whole global warming thing, it will literally be liquid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll liquify a lot sooner than that. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Have, that. have you heard of um, that guy in the University of Washington? I think I've talked to you about him. Um, he, I think his name is George or Gerald Pollock. He talks about uh, 
water being a liquid crystal. Yeah. I know it sounds kind of, there was all that stuff in the <laughs> 90s, I think, about yeah. like, if you just yeah. if you just love water, it will change shape and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard about he's that. He's not yeah. that. I mean, he, uh, he says there, he's, his whole thing is that there is a fourth state of water. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, H2O is a dipole. Yeah, it is a dipole. That's 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 definitely true. Does that does is there a correlation between? Um, would you you would probably have a lot of insight into that because mm. you're what you're studying now are your yeah. your nanotubes right, which right, are right differently charged. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we Why don't we explain to the audience what your an area of research you've worked sure. on? Sure. Yeah. So I work. Uh, my primary field of research is in. Uh, they go by a lot of different names. Um, but, um, I guess one word for them would be artificial micro swimmers. So picture a submarine that is about the size of a bacterium. So uh, you need a microscope to be able to see them. Right. And it has no moving parts, but it's able to propel itself. And more or less, that's what I work on. I work on, there are, it turns out this field is about 15 years old, and there are probably about a dozen different designs of these uh, artificial micro swimmers. And, you know, they're made from all different materials. Uh, They use different fuels. Some of them, like the ones that we've talked about before, the ones I studied in grad school, are uh, fueled by hydrogen peroxide. So in hydrogen peroxide, they swim, um, and in pure water, they don't. so these are made of half platinum, half gold. So picture a cylinder. The front half is platinum, the back half is gold. And they swim in hydrogen peroxide. And what's cool is that the platinum end is always facing forward. Wait, can I mean, it's, I'm going to start right off the bat. Why do they swim? If there's yeah. no moving part, I mean, that's like <laughs> the immediate question. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that was really what captivated me, too. I was just, I heard about these at a, at a seminar. I was studying something completely different, and... This guy just mentioned offhand that he, he was just talking about different ways to make them, which is a whole separate story. And he just mentioned offhand that they swam. And I raised my hand and was like, what? <laughs> yeah. that, that is more or less my question. Just mm. how, you know. Is it, is it possible to explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, so, no, I don't I mean, mean po- like possible to me to explain. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the long version is essentially my PhD thesis, you know, so t- if you really want to dig into the details. 15 uh, words or less, yes. please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's see. Um, well, the short version is they act like batteries. Okay. okay, so the way a battery works is you have two metals and chemical reactions happen on each metal. And as a result of those reactions, uh, one metal releases an electron, right? And the electron will travel through, in general, if you have the battery hooked up to something, say a light bulb, the electrons, you, you force the electrons to kind of go through the light bulb, power the light bulb, and then end up on the other metal where they're consumed in a separate reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that why there are always usually acids in batteries? Because acids Correct. are electron donors, right? Or um, well, the the reaction, yeah. So the acid, the, 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 each of the metals is immersed in a in a bath essentially, right. and the reaction occurs at the interface between the metal and the bath. And oftentimes, okay. acids are are, in, are used in the bath. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what does this have to do with swimming? Well, that was kind of the the what I sought the question I sought to answer with my research. So it turns out that. 
Um, so you have the same thing happening with the rods, though, of course, there's no light bulb, right? There's just the metals are directly connected to each other. So that's one important thing to know. You need to have two metals, right? If you just have a single metal rod and you put it in peroxide, it doesn't swim. And that has to do with is the differential of, of charge or the yeah. amount of electrons? It has to do with the difference in electron affinity, how much one metal likes electrons versus another. Okay. Uh, different metals like electrons more than, than others, right? Um, so actually, in this case, the metal that likes electrons more is gold. Uh, it likes electrons more than platinum, and so that's why electrons go from platinum to gold. I should also mention there's nothing special about those metals in particular. There are other people have done dozens of other combinations of metals that also work. Right. right. These ones just look classier. They do. They're very, they're very, very fancy. Yes. And it's also convenient because they're different colors. And so that actually makes it easier to identify on the microscope which end is which. Okay. Um, so, yes. So all this, this is all kind of a prelude. So then what I learned in my thesis research was, well, as a result of these different reactions, um, well, one side of the rod, <clears throat> essentially, the, the fluid immediately around it becomes positively charged. As a result of the reactions on platinum, positive charges are released into the solution. On the gold, positive charges are consumed. It kind of eats them up. And the end result of that is an electric field is created in the, in the, the surrounding fluid. And you can think of an electric field as a voltage across space. So it's kind of like um, it, exerts it exerts a force on anything that's charged, mm -hmm. right? Um, so basically the rod itself is electrically charged. Its surface is, has a negative charge. And that's, that's, kind of a, a, that's because of just the way metals behave when they're in water. So the long story short is, um, this is way more than 15 no, words. No, no, it's, it's actually it's making you guys sense make, to it's me. It's making so, sense yeah, so far. Yeah. Right, good. Um, so you have these different reactions on different sides. It creates electricity flowing through the surrounding fluid. And charged objects experience forces in the presence of electricity. And so as a result of the electricity that the rod itself created, it feels a propulsive force and moves forward. And that's kind of more or less, uh, more or less how they work. So it's it's a it's an electrical mechanism. But yeah. it's it's kind of what's kind of amazing about it to me is that, um, it's 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 a complete byproduct um, because the metals are just doing whatever they do whenever they're exposed whenever they're connected together, and you know with in a battery you wouldn't see any of these kind of flow right. phenomena because the the metals are separated by a wire right mm -hmm. and then they're in different baths in different right. different acid baths so it just so happens that when you put the two metals together and you make it small enough that's one key is that it has to be small enough this that effect would not be seen the thing, yeah. you wouldn't see this on the macroscopic scale okay, because yeah. the forces that are generated are just not strong enough to to propel something of uh, that anything that we could see with the naked eye in fact if you make these these rods about twice as long as they were in in our study um, they would be too heavy hmm. they would because they're solid metal right, right. they're still they're still quite dense um, so that's only, but I should mention that that's only one mechanism. There are many other ways that swimmers, that micro swimmers swim. Some of them swim by generating bubbles on their rear end. Um, so it's kind of, <laughs> right, yeah. you, you could make all kinds of, uh, we, we could, we could have so a So I have a kind of maybe a, maybe yeah. it's a silly question, yeah, but if yeah. you put a platinum gold 
uh, rod in a bath of pure hydrogen peroxide in a yeah. vacuum, yeah, would it run out of steam eventually? In a, in a you know, so we, what do you so if what it's I mean, in a vacuum? I right, just mean then, like there's nothing else in this thing except mm-hmm. uh, hydrogen peroxide and your little metal swimmer. Yeah. Will eventually like and you know some universe where is it is limited resource these yeah. the flow of electrons. Yeah, well, so it's really limited by the presence of peroxide. So okay. there, overall, um, you can think of the the peroxide as the fuel. Sure. Yeah. And the exhaust, if you will, the byproducts are oxygen and water. Um, so overall, these things consume peroxide and they make water. Okay. So you could leave these things. We've left them for days at a time, and they'll just keep swimming as long as there's peroxide present. But eventually, um, it's limited by the, pro- the by the supply of peroxide. Okay, if yeah. that makes if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so there is a there's a there is a limitation. Limit. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you did yeah. no, like, no you discovered a perpetual motion no machine. perpetual motion machines. <laughs> no yeah. in, no infinite right, yeah. infinite energy sources. I mean so, that'd be that'd be great. That'd so be great. where are you looking for the kind of practical use yeah. for this? And is that something you're in, or are you in the pure yeah. just investigation side of it? Yeah. So I, I'm really interested in problems where those two intersect. Right where there's okay. a scientific question to be answered, and once we answer that question, we can move towards some kind of practical application. I'm really in, that's really my, those are really my favorite problems that where there's a little bit of science and a little bit of engineering as mm-hmm. well. So my focus in the in my doctoral work was on um, the science was on understanding what the hell is going on. Right. And now that we have a better sense of how these work and how some of the other designs work, we can have a somewhat better idea of what we can do with them. Um, so you're right, Johnny, to ask about practical applications. So, I mean, is this just cute? Is this just a cute thing? You no, can no, do? I don't, or I don't it, mean or that. Should, I just or, mean because uh, you had mentioned before that you are no. or, or right yeah. now you are starting to see yeah. some ideas where it might become uh, applicable. Oh, no, it's a fair question to ask what can we do with them, you know. Um, so basically, um, so what I haven't mentioned is that these things can carry cargo. They can carry stuff around. You can attach different pieces of stuff to them. And that stuff could be anything from a bacterium um, to a, um, a drug. Or um, there, people have even looked at using these to clean up oil spills, right? <laughs> Where, because you can, coat, you can coat the surface of a, of a microswimmer. With a coating that essentially that makes the surface hate water, it's called uh, superhydrophobic coating. So hydrophobic, right. water fearing. But it turns out if you make it superhydrophobic, it also likes oil. It makes it like oil instead. So you can <laughs> imagine releasing some of these things into the ocean and they where there's been an oil spill. Yeah, they can use the water as a fuel, and at the same time sort of grab oil droplets onto their surfaces. And they can carry dozens. A single microswimmer can carry dozens of these droplets at a time. Hmm. Um, I don't work on that specifically. What I work on, I actually work on a couple different things. Um, So probably 75% of the people in this field are looking at uh, some kind of medical application. Do you guys know the, the film Fantastic Voyage? No. No. It was Raquel Welch's film debut in 1966. So, oh yeah, I know that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about a uh, scientist who gets afflicted with a blood clot in his brain, and his colleagues, uh, the other scientists, hey, they have the technology to miniaturize themselves and their submarine 
so that they can go into this guy's bloodstream and remove the clot. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. more than 50 years ago, people were already thinking about doing something like this, yeah. about using microscale vehicles. Yeah, to, oh, no worries. They were using microscale vehicles to do stuff in the body. Mm-hmm. Right. But, of course, in 1966, that was science fiction, right? But today, it's actually a possibility. So um, we now... How, ha- how would you direct them if they, yeah. if they swim of their own accord? That's an excellent question, and it's something that we haven't fully figured out yet. But the two leading candidates are ultrasound, which is already okay. used in medicine a lot, and magnetic fields, which are also used in medicine. For example, in an MRI. Right. right? That's the M in MRI. Would you like insert a magnet next to the tumor or something like that, or create a magnetic field sort of, next to it? Or? Yeah, so what you would do is create a magnetic field nearby. You could ha- I mean, so we've done, for example, experiments where, um, and even with the platinum gold rods, if you include an, an, a magnetic segment, like a nickel segment. Um, so the way you grow, by the way, the way you make these is you grow them. You uh, deposit metal into these little pores, and you know you, you deposit one metal at a time, and the amount of the deposition time determines how long each segment is. Mm. So you can say in between the platinum and gold include a, a magnetic segment like nickel. Nickel is uh, ferromagnetic, as it's called, meaning it's permanent. Essentially, it's always it always responds to magnetic fields. And let's say you have just a little magnetic. Just a separate, uh, you know, a magnet that you hold in your hand, and you can. If my microphone is the rod, then you, when you rotate the magnet, you can steer. Right. You can steer uh, the swimmer. So, right. you know, I've written my name with a swimmer before. Oh, like, cool. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you can, you can, you know, do any kind of pattern that you want. Hmm. Um, Let me ask this question. Yeah. Um, it's kind of not directly related, but you said it's like seventy or eighty percent of the kind of practical yeah. direction this going is medical field. Yeah. yeah. Obviously that is uh, a natural place for it to go because sure. people are trying to figure out how to save ourselves from disease and that. Yep. Is there yep. also a, is that where the money is oftentimes? That's, that's where, uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we depend on, uh, actually my, my tenure case to a large extent depends on my ability to get uh, external grants from right. places like the National Cancer Institute or National Science Foundation, and uh, so I hope the answer is is yes. Yeah. Um, and other countries um, have taken the lead on this. Germany has uh, a whole program. So the DFG, Germany's version of the National Science Foundation, has a whole program devoted to micro swimmers. Mm. That's actually what it's called, <laughs> or whatever the German is for micro swimmers. I don't know that. Micro swimmers. Uh, I think that's <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, they are you know the support they, they kind of have a more mature uh, funding infrastructure there. But uh, there have been a few grants, yeah, that uh, we've got that you know I've got uh, I was supported by in grad school, for example, on on uh, micro swimming. So so I've off the air, can you uh, give us any insider trading tips for when the first medical company finds <laughs> you know like nails something and we yeah. can get in early on that stock? Best case scenario, it would be at least a decade, I would say, okay. because if for anything to be viable to be used in the clinic, you know, especially in the U.S., you have to cl- yeah. you have to clear a whole bunch of uh, FDA hurdles. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to make it through phase one, phase two, phase three clinical trials. 
Um, it also sounds it, like it's so early still in. It is still learning how to steer. It them. is. We're still learning how to steer them. Um, so actually, Danny, you mentioned one of the two major outstanding problems with these things. The first one is steering mm-hmm. control, essentially ensuring that they go where they where you want them to go. And the second is uh, tracking, mm-hmm. how to make sure, how to verify that that they're going where you right. want them to go. Um, ultrasound is one particularly promising methodology because um, it turns out these things are pretty easy to track in ultrasound, even if it's inside of a patient, even if you don't, even if you can't observe them visually. So that's one thing we're working on right now. Actually, is um, uh, using them to swim in the vicinity of a tumor. So tumors are surrounded by uh, what's called the extracellular matrix, and actually that's Extracellular matrix is something that exists in healthy tissue, too. It's kind of what provides mechanical support, scaffolding to cells, allowing them to kind of do their thing, whatever that thing is. And, but nobody, despite the fact that most people are working on medical applications, no one has really looked at using these in a real environment where they might actually be used in, in the clinic. And so right. we're trying to take the first steps there. So... One, so you know, we're we're trying to figure out which design would work in this kind of environment because it's very different from just a pristine hydrogen peroxide right. solution. You've got all these proteins. You've got polysaccharides. Part of the glycome yeah. is uh, <laughs> is is resides within the ECM. It's it's a very dense and hostile and mechanically stiff environment. Mm-hmm. But there are some preliminary studies that show that these these swimmers can they can function in environments other than just you know a right. regular old aqueous solution of some chemical. So this really, I mean, your, now your kind of field of knowledge really has to expand yeah. beyond wh- where your focus is now to understand, yeah. Yeah. well, what do we do with these? Now you're having to really get into yeah. the biology of the yeah. human body and cellular oh, yeah. structure and everything. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of giving myself a crash course in cancer, uh, you know, <laughs> like uh, cancer biology, you know, uh, Coursera is a really great tool for that. The the online, it's a way to like take f- courses from oh, Stanford, okay. MIT, Harvard like, um, for free. Huh. It's oh, amazing. See, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, yeah. So there is good stuff you can do on the internet. There is good stuff. The you know here and there. there yeah. There are a few pockets. <laughs> yeah. I mean this. It, that, it, yeah. that is the thing. The Khan Academy. I mean they got like oh yeah preliminary yeah. courses and nearly everything. You can more or less go to college on YouTube now. You know, yeah. we have to think, and I say this as a college professor. Um, you know, we really need to be cognizant that I don't think co- I don't think every single person needs to go to college. Right. Like, just full stop. You know, especially with how expensive it is. You know, um, what is it like one hundred one and a half it's trillion a financial dollars conspiracy, in, yeah, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, yeah. obviously, oh, yeah. Co- yeah. university is amazing, and and right. especially when you visit some ones that are established, you realize, oh, these are special places. They're dedicated oh, yeah. to sure. to knowledge, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. the ideal of a university. Right. And then the flip side of it is this fucking financial conspiracy oh, to yeah. get people embroiled in debt. It's insane. Well, when you see, that, I mean, clearly, university can mean many things. For yeah. you, you're a teacher, and you went through the system, and it's right. a collection right. of people with common goals trying to understand and explore explore the universe at its best at, at its least. best yeah it's also you don't need 600,000 people getting a marketing degree yep. to go you know do Instagram social media absolutely you know so it's absolutely 
it's yeah, it's definitely some conspiracy there to basically yeah. to just keep the loan system yeah. going. Yeah. No, I I I totally think that you know I, of course I'm <laughs> I've I've got some skin in the game, so I think if you want to be something like an engineer, yeah, yeah, uh, of course, or yeah. you know a scientist, like there are nobody wants th- to go on bridges do- that were not yeah, <laughs> built yeah. by people. I mean, <laughs> you can you can do that outside of the sort of the normal uh, trajectory. Right. But it's it's harder, right? And it's yeah. harder to be taken seriously, right? If yeah. you don't have have credentials. Sure. So when it, when it's working at its best, the mm-hmm. resistance and the rigorous system is the system of checks and balances, making sure that yeah. things are verified and things right. are not just. Well, I watched YouTube, and here's how you, like you said, build a bridge. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder, yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> I wonder if they'll go. They'll film. If they'll move back a little bit towards. Field schools or trade schools. Trade schools, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you can make a six-figure salary as a plumber if you right, want yeah. to. You know, right? And it's because you're so fucking useful. I know. Like, I know. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I am all for. I am all for that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is. It's the you. Danny had talked about this also. This idea, even of ambition as mm-hmm. a concept, being this weird thing that everyone feels that they need to have all this ambition, but not necessarily for any specific purpose. It's one thing to have an ambition to do something specific. Like you want to try to decide, I want to try to understand these micro swimmers. Like why do they exist? But this idea that people feel like, I just want to have ambition so that they can go work in a job at a desk and be told what to do and go up a corporate structure. I think it's, it's a weird, it's a, that's another conspiracy you know, where they So ambition without curiosity is yeah, a very yeah. weird emotion. Yeah. It's what is the ambition for? Right, right. right. Um, you guys know Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, yeah. It's my so favorite. Of course, right. <laughs> um, the creator Bill Watterson gave the commencement address at his alma mater, uh, Kenyon College in Ohio. And I think this was 1991, 92, but. He said at the end, ambition is only understood if it's to rise to some imaginary ladder of success, as if a job title and salary were the sole measure of human worth, or something like that. <laughs> Dude, he's he one of the great the American oh. philosophers, I, and he's totally. underappreciated. I mean, obviously, he, Calvin Hobbes is one of the most popular yeah. cartoons ever, but yeah. as a thinker, he's yeah. underappreciated, I think. Yeah, but I think you know, you and he are touching on the exact same point, which is yeah. that you know, we need to expand our definition of ambition, what ambition really means. Right. And it can be for something that is not necessarily having the corner office and, you know, 600 people working underneath you. I'll take it, though. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... You know, just as an aside, he never sold out his merchandising rights for Calvin and Hobbes, which could have been billions of dollars. Oh, Oh, yeah. But... Never did it. Yeah, any of those bumper stickers, uh, like on, yeah, if you see on a Chevy of uh, of Calvin peeing on a Ford logo. Mm. Yeah, it's all illegitimate, and it's also the antithesis of anything that he would have stood for. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, uh, what's he? I'm always amazed by adults who can remember what it's like to be a child. Yeah. You know, which is in yeah. his cartoons. He clearly he's got such a clear memory that when you read it, you're like, oh, shit, that's right. That's yeah. that's what I remember. And even I was uh, listening to um, uh, Carl Jung's memoirs. Yeah. With, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, Dreams something and fuck, I can't remember. <laughs> but he, he writes about his childhood. Yeah. And he's writing about when he's four, five, and six years old. Mm-hmm. And his memory of it, even though he's 84 when he's writing this stuff, mm-hmm. is so perfect that it 
kind of transports you back to your own childhood yeah. and how you perceive things and how you see. I think stuff. I think what that is, uh, particularly in the Bill Watson case, is it's bi-directional. One, he has tremendous access to recall states of being from being a child, but then clearly as a child, he, he wouldn't have he, been able to write this. Right? He was he was in contact perhaps with his adult self or yeah. his inner sub uh, subconscious uh, adult. So that or there's the just a common created. thread. Yeah, but you know, he you can bet that Bill Watterson as a kid was a smart fucking kid. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he wouldn't be able to write. It, no, no, it's of a, course it's a, you have to have both yeah. Yeah. to div- yeah. to like be, to mature without losing that um, childlike kind of mind sure, state yeah. is yeah. very hard. It's kind of like uh, the Zen concept of beginner's mind, right? Yeah, you know, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities; in the expert's mind, there are few. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, things like that, yeah. and I think. Yeah, I think, you know, you do. he had to kind of mature um, because that's the thing about Calvin is that there's also kind of a duality in Calvin, right? right. That he's simultaneously this naive kid who does some stupid crap a lot of the time. Yeah. But a lot of the times, of course, he's also quite, in, displays quite a lot of intelligence and yeah. sophistication. Yeah. Um, that Zen quote or that idea, yeah. I think, is, yeah. is one of the most abused concepts oh, yeah. also because <laughs> I think a lot of people listen to that particularly musicians yeah. and they have this idea you know, the, the beginner's state where <laughs> I have no concrete knowledge of anything right. yet but I'm open they take, and yeah. then they're like well I'll just stay here yeah. and then I'll just you know I'll just make it up man right, and right. the trick to that is to get to the expert state and not have that be an inhibitor, I think. You know, like you yeah. need to learn the chords, learn yeah. your scales, yeah, learn right. that, and then remain open. Yeah. As somebody who um, is terrible at practicing and barely knows what a mode is, yeah. um, I can relate. Now, Stephen Fry's got a thing about that where he's talking about poetry with, mm-hmm. with yeah. uh, Jonathan Ross, I think it was. And he was, he was saying, his argument was, there are some mechanics behind poetry that you should learn. Yeah. And there are some... Yeah. There is some form and there is some stuff that you can have as a basis. Yeah. And his analogy was you don't just like hand somebody a guitar and say express yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is some yeah. basis. Yeah. And it's, as you're saying, it's to keep what that I, structure without losing the. Well, what I like and what I've tried to do in my musical practice, because uh, you know, and we'll get into this maybe a little bit. Sure. You, yeah. Uh, hold on. We have a visitor. It's, it's Max. <laughs> Max, <laughs> would you like to contribute some sort of out of context uh, contribution? Um. Yeah, can I take a moment just to appreciate the question? I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're doing this in, this is the front lounge in the back lounge, so it's just, it's chaos in this back lounge because there's just 12 dudes. Um, I was going to say, we'll we'll get into this a little bit. You you are a musician, you're a bass player, um, and... Did you, did you get a degree in? You no. just did it on the side, but I mean, no. you, you might uh, as well have because you're an amazing <laughs> bass player. Well, thanks, man. Uh, no, actually, um, for about two years, I was a jazz performance major in parallel with the engineering at ASU. Okay. Um, so I was for I was on track for a while, um, but at some at at at, at at a certain point I realized, and this kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier, that you don't really need a music degree to play music, right? No. You don't need the piece of paper. You know, no. People just care if you can play. That's what right? I'm I'm betting on because I never got my <laughs> degree. But I was going to say, yeah. in terms of this ability to express mm-hmm. yourself without learning any of the mechanics, like clearly you can, Yeah, but yeah. it's... Um, I don't think you express yourself as well yeah. if you don't have a good vocabulary. Yeah. And I, but I think one of the downsides, Definitely. particularly I found in jazz school, 
is, and most music school actually, is there was a lack of, or there was a focus on understanding music theory. And this is something that uh, Joseph Schillinger talks about, who is a Russian composer um, theorist that we've talked about a lot, is that basically most of music theory has been looking into the past, seeing how other people did it, and then saying that is the basis of the structure of music. which it's like of course law. It's like precedent. It's, yeah, it's like precedent law, which is right. kind of ludicrous because right. at the fundamentals of music really should be a study of physics probably. Yeah. You know, like how, does, how do sound vibrations <laughs> right. interact and right, why? Right. And so in a smaller sense than that, what I've tried to do, uh, rather than reading through the Omni book, which is Charlie Parker's, you know, like the all his solos transcribed is to try to get down to a little more fundamental level of just finding bass structures and scales and arpeggios becoming so familiar in those in a kind of nondescript way that then when I try to express something I'm able to perhaps have a little bit more of my own expression in it rather than right. just regurgitation of some someone else's idea I do a similar thing rather than reading a book or whatever I just practice tongue twisters <laughs> and that would, well you, you if you did that as yeah, a right. particular I think as a rapper is rather than like right. l- learning how to rap by listening to whatever Snoop Dogg if you read the fucking dictionary right. re- read weird structures of words in a yeah. row that mm-hmm. had no sense read yeah. them backwards said them right. you know find 600 rhymes that you might actually come up with an no, entirely yeah. new way of rapping and it's you wouldn't kind of, be regurgitating what you'd read. Yeah. You kind of develop the linguistic agility to yeah. you know have a have a broader palette with which to express yourself. Yeah. You know, it's like Hamilton, like the the, the you know the, the musical. musical yeah. Um and Lin-Manuel Miranda obviously is quite the wordsmith and he intentionally I I know to kind of reflect what an amazing mind Alexander Hamilton had. He gave the Hamilton character some if you listen to the raps that that the Hamilton character gives versus the other characters, they're considerably more syncopated and complicated right. and probably difficult to learn. Mm. Right. Um, so, and you mentioned... I still haven't seen that. Yeah. It, this hasn't... I don't think it's come through LA recently. Or oh, is it yeah. always there? I don't know. I, yeah. No, I think it, it, it's either come through or it's coming through. You know, it's always come... They always they're on tour, bounce here. Yeah. 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 But uh, you mentioned Charlie Parker, too. And uh, he has a quote that I think is quite germane to this uh, discussion. And it, I think it touches on kind of what you're talking about, where you have to, to really fully express yourself, you need to build up a certain knowledge base. But you also need to still have an approach to the music or whatever it is, whatever your creative medium is. And I think this is, this is largely true in science, too. Uh, you have to have a certain kind of playfulness, too. Yeah. Uh, and the quote from Charlie Parker is, at least it's attributed to him, is, Master your instrument. Master the music, and then forget all that shit and just play. Yeah, and yeah. that I think that that yeah. sums it up. You know, that sums up a lot of creative work. Yeah, I just y- skipped the first two. I for just I've. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you always hear that, stories you know, about yeah. uh, John Coltrane. Also, he got really into that book by Slonimsky, the Thesaurus of uh, Scales and Patterns, or something, which is basically this Russian composer dude who just literally wrote. Uh, this is before a computer could generate all this in thirteen microseconds but wrote out basically an endless amount of ways to approach playing through 12 notes. You know, there's like tetra patterns, four note patterns. Like you go one, two, three, five, one, three, two, five, one, well, five, two, three. Well, the ones that weird me out are like melodic minors or that kind of thing where it's it, upwards is different than downwards. And that, yeah. that's, that gives a, that gives more of an, a specific emotion to me because the other, 
scales are your your mind is predicting them much more reliably. Whereas when something yeah. changes based on direction, it, it's almost like a melody. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of expands, I think, the possibilities. What's your favorite melodic minor mode, Joe? Oh, man. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Super Locrian. That's about yeah. that's you know? the only one I remember. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, although Lydian Augmented is quite fun, yeah, too. Yeah, I love Lydian the Augmented. Major 7, Sharp 5. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, Lydian Dominant. Uh, it's, not, <laughs> it's not bad, you know. I just like straight up Lydian. Lydian is quite happy, you know. It's it's, no, it's, it's very bright, uh, but it's mysterious it's, also. Yeah, I think it's mysterious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of kind of tension. Yeah, yeah it's, it's eerie. there's a tiny bit of French in there. Yeah. You know, you picture like yeah. Ravel. That a tritone. Of yeah, that's exactly. it's that tritone. Yeah, it's the tritone. Right, yeah. There. yeah, yeah. That's what I, I see. I like the devil in the details. I like yeah. a, you know <laughs> the devil is always is always going to be hidden in something pleasant. It's never going to be. Yeah, it's never going to be some just like. Yeah. So. Um, what we do, we usually have segments here, but we don't, oh, yeah. don't need segments. But why don't we talk about music for a little yeah. while? Sure. Um, you're a jazz bass player. I am. What? It, let's talk about just some records that were kind of really influential on your playing, or yeah. that you would spend hours and hours trying to dissect and understand. It doesn't even necessarily necessarily have to be as a bass player. Just yeah, yeah. Well, I like the classics, of course. Um, you know, the both Miles Quintets and um, Coltrane's Quartet. And um, I guess, I suppose, um, one group that's particularly influential has been um, the Bill Evans trio. Right. Like the early recordings he did with uh, Scotty LaFaro and Paul Motion. You know, um, I, I, I don't know a ton about Scott LaFaro. He died very 26. young. 26. 26. Yeah. Yeah, Car but, accident. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. he is, was one of those guys that was... Oh, he didn't even make it to the 27? Mid-20s, mid I know. I uh, don't remember the exact age. If he had died at 27, he'd be more famous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he'd be in the club. Yeah. Yeah, there's something amazing about a trio... Uh, yeah. it's it's kind of like the perfect musical group. You yeah. know, it's got it's a it's a very balanced yeah, uh group, grouping. Yeah. You have it's and when you see a great trio like for for me the Keith Jarrett trio but also that Bill Evans sure. trio, sure. they are almost switching roles. You know, there's always an anchor which you would right. traditionally think, well, that's the drums or the bass. You know, they're holding down the fort. But when you see a great yeah. trio yeah. that the roles are constantly shifting. Oh yeah, where Completely. there is no anchor, but there's always an anchor. Yeah, I think of the Bill Evans trio as kind of like three figure skaters on right. on the ice at the same time, and they're each kind of doing their own thing separately, but there's a sort of unity to it as well. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. So you you listen? You talking about that Miles Davis, the one with um, Tony Williams and yeah, uh, the, the Ron second Carter. quartet, yeah. right? And that Wayne, was, Wayne Shorter and um, uh, Herbie Hancock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that on some of a lot of those records. Wayne Shorter still you can still feel his struggle. Yeah, like and which is great because you know yeah. they're playing. They were really on the absolute cutting edge yeah. of, pu- yeah. of pushing the boundaries of jazz, and you can right. hear them. There's a great recording I. I bought when you still still bought CDs. It's the yeah. complete plug nickel set. It's yeah. like a nine disc series recorded at the plug nickel, which is a club I think in New York or okay. somewhere around there. Yeah. And you can hear phones ringing off and bartenders like dropping <laughs> glasses. And everyone must have been on cocaine because Tony Williams, who was like 19 at the yeah. time, just yeah. an absolute phenomenon, yeah. playing at the speed of light, oh, yeah. like his hands playing eighth notes faster than 
It's just the fastest thing you've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Miles Davis cannot keep up for shit. <laughs> they, they're playing the head for a song. It's called Olio, yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. rhythm changes song. And yeah. it's just a good minute or two. Except it's Miles And he just stops halfway through and tries it again and can't get it. And it's just hysterical. And you could tell he must have been so pissed at Tony after the show. Like, stop fucking with me, man. No, I don't even. I don't even you know if it gives a shit. Like melodies are not important, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, do, are, do you play here? Oh, in yeah. town? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get I, I play maybe two or three times a month. Um, it varies month to month. But uh, there's a there's a really cool Mediterranean cafe in Fairfax, Virginia, about 30, 30 minutes away from here, um, called uh, Epicure, uh, and they have this really cool thing called the Eclectic Jam once a month it's the second friday of every month i'm actually doing it so this coming friday the so six days from now um and it epicure is the word epicurean epicure well the name of the place is epicure okay um yeah um is that a mathematician who's epicurean uh, epicurean oh no he's a philosopher epicurus i think epicurus yeah i think he was a philosopher maybe i'm not totally sure me either but um yeah, it's it's super cool because true to its name, I mean, it starts out nominally as a jazz jam, mm-hmm. and I'm in the house band, so you know, like in any jazz jam, the house band does a set for mm-hmm. about 45 minutes, take a short break, and then you bring in any number of different people. So it's I guess it's closer to an open mic night. Yeah. But uh, you know, we've had let's see, classical guitarists, we've had harpists. Uh, Spoken, oh, that harpist, uh, word, do you poet? plug them in? Because otherwise, playing with a harpist, everyone's going to be like at <laughs> negative 500 dB just to yeah. <laughs> like hear them. Yeah, yeah. No, the, she only does uh, solo stuff. Okay. So, and it's a small enough space that, okay. you know, you, sh- you can be heard pretty well. Um, we've had a magician. Uh, <laughs> so you never know exactly what, what yeah, who's yeah. going to show up and who's going to do what. But, um, is there any kind it's, of? Is there a filtration process? Does the 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 booking? I guess it's kind of self-selecting. Like mm-hmm. the people who know about it are right, generally, right. you know, the, the level of musicianship is actually quite high. Right. Uh, yeah. Among among the people who who do show up, and actually, the guy who runs it, uh, a friend of mine named Christian Perez, with whom I'm going to China this summer. Actually, we're going to oh, go awesome. play in a music festival there in Macau. Technically, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, Christian runs the thing. He's a he's a guitarist. And uh, he writes a he writes a new tune for us every day. Like he always writes it the day of the session. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think last time we did a tune in seventeen, so it was a bar. Of, it was a bar of five. So he's a sadist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it actually grooves pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bar of five four followed by a bar of seven eight, mm-hmm. and it actually it actually works. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you lost me at five four. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, I've got a very simple, simple track on this album, which I just titled four five four three because I couldn't come up with the yeah, right, the title, the last track. But yeah. that adds up to sixteen, so that's way easier to count than oh, seventeen. Oh yeah, is that is that where the, was that the genesis of the title? Yeah, bar yeah. four, bar five, bar four, bar three. Oh, okay, or yeah. s- like uh, some other drummer was like, oh, is that a bar bar a nine and a yeah. bar a seven? Yeah. I have to say, I really enjoy the album, fellas. Oh, thank yeah, you, man. No, thank you. Uh, listen for, to the, the, I, I thought the you weren't going to fulfill your contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no it's, three, it's, it's three plugs per podcast. You remember yeah. that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there's one. Uh, I especially liked uh, Something New. You know. Oh, cool, yeah. And, it, and I guess I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not 
an accident that that was the first track, you know, because it's like right, something. Yeah. And I think the first lyric is like, we should try something new. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it was written in, two, Jesse wrote that in 2005. But oh, yes, really? the placement of it was, oh, really? was yeah, intentional. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah because it, it does feel like, it does feel like something new. Like you guys are kind of venturing, your sound is evolving, I, I feel. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, you're, but you're also retaining, what I like about it is that it's different but in a way, it retains a lot of the same signatures that I associate with you guys' sound. Was it? Was yeah. that? Was that intentional? Or? Um, I mean, partially. I think it's, it's. You know, we couldn't abandon everything we do. It's still right. stuff that we like. But we are definitely trying to move in a d- new direction. Yeah, it's sometimes it's some is logistical or something simple like being in a different room. Right changes a lot for you. Mm-hmm. You know, the sounds coming out of the drum kits are different. The we got a bunch of synths. We got a bunch of analog synths, and that just changes what you got floating around in the yeah. studio. But yeah, there is also a conscious effort to change yeah. it up. Yeah. Do you find in your field is mm-hmm. is there a disproportionate amount of people that are in, were in music, like or or not? Is that because I would feel like in yeah. weird ways it's well, serious musicians at least that sure. you know people that have really kind of studied. It's a good crossover. I oh would yeah. Feel. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's more common than a lot of people think. Um, Herbie Hancock got his bachelor's in electrical engineering <laughs> at Grinnell College, I think. And it it seems particularly true with pianists. Um, a lot we're the, of the, we're the smartest. Music, a lot of the engineer musicians I know are pianists, hmm. um, particularly electrical engineers. But um, no, it's it's definitely it, there are definitely some deep parallels between the two uh, the two areas. The NIH, National Institutes of Health, um, you know, one of, one of the foremost kind of government agencies related to medicine and, and uh, human health, has an orchestra. That huh. there's an NIH orchestra, and, it, and they're legit. Like they play huh. some pretty legit uh, rep. But yeah, no, I have you know several friends, many of whom I think you guys probably know, uh, Todd Martino, uh, oh, yeah. Shay Marshall. Yeah, yeah. Um, both of whom are electrical engineers and and pianists. Well, yeah. Shade plays like well, Shade plays literally ninety seven thousand different instruments. Yeah. But, um, but I, you know, I think of him as a pianist first. Um, huh. He may yeah. not agree with that. I think maybe he's maybe he would call himself a sax player first. I'm not sure. That's but, how I first met yeah, him as yeah. a sax player. So he'll always be a sax player in my book. But he's a musical slut. <laughs> Jack, no, but no, I, I say that with all yeah, no, of the course. reverence. Yeah, no, he's, he's, a, like he's, he's a guy in Phoenix and he's in every band yeah. that you've seen in Phoenix playing every instrument. He, but you know, what was crazy about him is he takes his Hammond to gigs. Yeah. Which is, that's yeah. way too much work. Yeah, it's a hell of a rig to. Yeah. You know, I thought I had it rough with an with upright, upright bass. bass yeah. no, I take my hammock to gigs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we're going to wrap this one up relatively quickly because we've got another guest coming up. DC has been a busy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All the smart people here, plus a, <laughs> plus a bunch of idiots in a big white house. I just wanted to bring up that one. It's a one clip for people to check out on YouTube. And I will. You can actually, I'll bring up one clip and then you can go watch the rest of the interviews. It's one of my favorite things to watch. It's called um, Something or Other with Richard Feynman. I'll tell you the part about inertia. Uh, he, where he's, he's, one of his earliest memories was he was five years old and he had a little red wagon with a ball in it. Yeah. And when he pulled the wagon, the ball would go to the back of the wagon. Yeah. And yeah. so he went to his dad and said, uh, Why does the ball move to the back of the wagon when I pull it? 
and his dad he's, he attributes a lot of his kind of curiosity to the way his dad raised him mm-hmm. and his dad said well if you go check go line it up you'll see the ball actually moves forward a little yeah. bit it's yeah. just the back of the wagon moving towards yeah. the ball yeah. so he went and checked it when he's five years old and he's right and he goes back to his dad and he says why is it doing that and his dad says well that's called inertia and nobody knows how that works <laughs> and that was the, <laughs> the that was the answer he gave his five year old yeah. kid, and he yeah. said it inspired a kind of curiosity. And because his dad, this mm-hmm. authority figure, was was willing to um, entertain or yeah. admit ignorance and oh, admit yeah. also the ignorance of the world with yeah. regard to a co- very complex concept. Oh yeah, it inspired this curiosity in him. Oh yeah, I mean that's more than anything, you know, what you need right, to yeah. be. Uh, well, it kind of ties into what we were talking about with, um, you know, becoming an expert, you know, learning the, the tools of your trade, but still being able to create. And I think what you need, both in the musical realm as well as the scientific realm, is curiosity. Why, and flexibility, that's, you know, yeah. you can't become too rigid. I, you know, that seems to be perhaps the bridging thing between all these falsely dichotomized ways of existence you know between yeah. the, or the age old yeah. useless of science and religion and all mm-hmm. that. like right. what's at the center of that is that anyone that is still open to the idea that there is more that we don't know than oh, we yeah. do know oh, yeah. and you'll find there's commonality between everyone and there's actually no argument yeah. you know like anyone yeah. that's certain about anything is probably wrong and I'm certain of that yeah <laughs> I think yeah, it's yeah. called sorry it's called fun to imagine yeah, Richard, it's an interview series with him. Yeah, no, really I love good. that. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up um, yeah. because he's got another great one about magnets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that. Where uh, I think you posted that one time and said magnets. How do they work? Yeah. <laughs> slightly, <laughs> slightly. Uh, you know, you, you yeah. censored the the original <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit, but uh, yeah, no, and it's um, that's more more than anything what keeps me going. Yeah. You know, is knowing. The more you learn, and this is kind of a cliche, but it's true. I mean, the more I've learned as a scientist, the more I realize how little I actually know. I mean, we don't even know what maybe 95% of the universe is really made out of. Right. right. <laughs> there's, dark, you know, there's dark matter, but we don't really have a good sense of what dark matter is. And there are even alternative theories to dark matter, right? And, oh, no, yeah. Or dark energy. There's people who say, like... Mm-hmm. And dark energy. Yeah, dark yeah. energy, I just should declare, it actually supposedly constitutes more than dark matter. But huh. yeah, go ahead, continue. Huh. Yeah. I, well, I don't really know what that means, but <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think anybody yeah. really does. There's, I know there's a guy, there's a one guy out there who says that relativity works different differently over greater distances, and that explains the the different rates of expansion. And he's like he's like an anti dark matter. Guy. Well, well, the the so the universe is expanding. The rate at which it ex- is expanding is increasing. The expansion is accelerating. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was discovered in the late '90s. Expanding. Um, see, that's a mathematical concept, though, right? Because expanding into what? Right. Well, that's a great question. Yeah. I, don't, I also don't think we really have a firm sense of that. But I believe the ex- what you may be talking about is that the expansion is, at least in by, by some accounts, is actually faster than the speed of light. Right. Yeah. And relativity says that nothing can travel, no, no information, at least, can travel faster than light. And... Um, so I believe that's kind of how the, the sort of paradox is resolved, that re- the information is not traveling from one end of the universe to the other. There's no signal, right, mm-hmm. that's being sent. But if you look at a point on one end of the universe and a point on the other end, and you measure the rate at which they're 
um, receding from each other, that that rate would exceed the speed of light. Mm. There's a separate concept, too, where this comes up called quantum entanglement, Mm -hmm. where um, you can have two particles, and if you release them in opposite directions, and um, they're entangled in this certain way, they have this sort of deep relationship between each other, Let's say, for example, that they're photons, right? right? So particles of light, right? Light is actually made of, you know, an innumerable amount of these photons, these particles. You can also think of it as a wave, but that's a separate thing. Anyway, so you have two entangled particles, and they're shooting off in opposite directions. And um, so suppose that you have a detector on one end, and um, it one of the particles impinges on this detector, and you measure some property, mm-hmm. right? And it's one principle of quantum mechanics that particles don't really have properties until you measure them. Right. right? Or at least we don't, we have no way of knowing them. Mm -hmm. So if you measure one, say on one side, and then a billion miles on the other side, at the the moment that that first particle, say it impinges on somebody's polarized sunglasses. Right. And when it impinges on polarized sunglasses, the photon has to make a decision as to where what its um, orientation is, mm-hmm. in rough, roughly speaking. Well, what entanglement says is that at that very instant, the opposite photon will also choose right. a direction. Can yeah. we so, back up a second? Uh, yeah. When you say entangle, like, entanglement, what, yeah. how, what does that mean? Like how, what, what yeah. entangles it, them? I, yeah. Well, you can get it's, this. It's, if you make a photon close mm-hmm. enough to another photon mm-hmm. at the same time, yeah. do they fall under the same laws? somehow is it is it related to it's related to their wave functions from what i understand i mean johnny to 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 be clear i don't i don't know the actual the full physical details of how you entangle photons you might check out a guy named brian green Mm -hmm. uh he's kind of uh he's a string theorist at columbia university and he's a really good science communicator um yeah, the details on how you actually do this experiment i'm not totally sure but there's a way to make them intimately connected to each other in a certain way but the crazy part is that it's almost as if something is travel i guess it's it so einstein actually studied this problem and he called it spooky action at a distance uh, because he was very uncomfortable with it um and i still don't think we have a full understanding of of what it is but i think the general consensus to my understanding is that it's not again just as with the expanding universe it's not necessarily information traveling at the speed of light but some other some, something else is being some transmitted outside sure. of time yeah. or space uh right. connection that i mean there's a i know the they have all different experiments it's a wheeler mm-hmm. concept isn't it right. they're physicists and they have like the yeah. delayed quantum erasics wheeler I think. yeah yeah they'd have on youtube you can go look up the delayed quantum eraser experiments oh, yeah. where yeah. they split with a prism they split off the photons right right so that they can verify the entanglement yeah because huh. it's so they yeah i i, I can't remember the details that could be, yeah. that yeah. could be. The, the main experiments that kind of established the legitimacy of this idea were performed by a guy named john bell mm-hmm. who's an irish physicist okay. um so but yeah i'll have to check those 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 other experiments out yeah they they take they shoot Two entangled pairs really? into yeah. prisms, and the whether or not yeah. the prism is active or not is mm-hmm. random. I, this all this different stuff to basically yeah. they were trying to separate the measurement from the phenomenon because they couldn't tell if the measuring device was 
was it was a factor. Was interfering, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of. Uh, but didn't they find the same result? Like, yeah, no. Like it's the so idea far, of it's, the observer it's working, is, yeah. is not. <laughs> it's such a abstract concept. The idea yeah. of what the observer is like it's not us as a yeah. human being observing. Yeah. It's the notion of observation. Well, yeah. Wheeler's got that thought experiment, which is where if a, a photon was were to shoot from the other side of the universe. Right. Um, and it was traveling towards Earth, and it had to go around one side of a galaxy or not. Until you observed the photon, you wouldn't know which side of the galaxy That's it went right. around. That's right. Mm. And you know, and the same is true in um, you know, the classic quantum experiment, the double slit experiment. Yeah. yeah. It's, that, it's that Zen cone, if I'm in the forest and I say something, but my wife's not there to hear it, am I still wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I think generally the answer is yes. <laughs> from, from my, I've uh, been married for almost three years. So, yeah, I got, you're getting wrong. You're general, getting wronger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my my general perception. <laughs> but should yeah. we uh, wrap this up? On yeah, the we delay? should. Yeah, yeah, I, unfortunately, we could gotta, talk forever, and hopefully, could, yeah. um, if you're ever out on the west coast, because I know yeah. your wife Jamie comes out every now and then. If you yep. come out, we'll kind of continue this, and if oh, not, yeah. we'll do it next time. Oh yeah. No. Always a pleasure. Thanks yeah. for coming on, Jeff. Oh, of course. Good to pleasure, see you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks and, for having uh, me. And wish you luck. And let oh, me know yeah. those secret stock tips when you're about to go to market with your <laughs> micro swimmer drugs. You'll be, the, you'll be the first to know. Cheers. Thanks. All right. Thanks. And um, if you're listening to this and you heard ads and you would like to get rid of those ads, you can simply head to patreon.com slash congos, and for $2 a month, you get the ad-free version of this podcast, plus every now and then we throw up a couple exclusive photo sets or behind-the-scenes videos and that sort of thing. For $100 so, a month, you get the same thing as the $2 a month thing. Yeah, that's true. You can The $2 or up package. All right, see you guys next week. Bye.